A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, good morning, and let me also say welcome to all of you for being here. My name's Jason. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and today I want to talk to you about the topic of power. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, if you remember, uh, several weeks back now, I believe, uh, we had some pretty bad storms, even worse than what we're experiencing right now, and a lot of people's power went out. I was one of those. Uh, my house lost power for about 24 hours. And I am ashamed to tell you how much that disrupted my life. Uh, it really was sad. I was, I, had, I was just in a bad way, I'll just say that. But uh, we truly have no idea how dependent we are on power, on electricity, for pretty much everything in our lives in our day. But that's not the power that I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the power to control things. The power to make things happen in your life. The power to have authority, the power to have influence over people. And the question I want us to, to look at today is, what do you do when you find yourself with that kind of power? What do you do with it? Now, we've been making our way through uh, what we know as the Gospel of Mark, right? It's this uh, man, Mark, who wrote down a series of recollections that he gathered about the life of Jesus directly from the people who were there. And we've been noticing in this book that Mark has written for us that is now contained in your Bible that his purpose in writing this book is he wants to illustrate us to us and he wants to proclaim for us that Jesus is king. That's why we've called it the King Jesus Gospel. Now the question is, king of what? Well, king of everything, right? Jesus came and proclaimed. He said his number one message that he began to preach was, the kingdom of God has come. It is here. The arrival of the kingdom of God is now. Jesus would call people. He would say, you use the word repent. It's a word that just means change your mind, change your attitude, change the way you're living, turn your life around. 
and follow me into a new way of life. And this new way of life he called the kingdom of God. It was life under the rule and the reign of God. But whenever you hear someone talk about a king, and whenever you hear people talk about a kingdom, the most natural idea that you get in your mind is this idea of having power. Because think about it, what's a king without power? That's what it means to be king, right? I mean, the, the power to make things the way you want them to be. That's what kings do. And like we've been saying before, all in this series, in the kingdom of God, well, that just means that that's the time and the place where God gets what God wants. And so everything Jesus taught and everything Jesus did, he was giving us signals. They were signs. They were illustrations. They were, they were pictures of the kingdom of God. And so we talked about this several weeks ago. The miracles he performed, the teachings that he taught, the parables, the stories that he would tell to illustrate, all of this is Jesus showing us this is what the kingdom of God really looks like. In other words, here's what the world looks like when God's in charge. When God gets what he wants, this is what it looks like. But the big question that was rolling around in everybody's head as they started pondering this and figuring this all out was, how does that all come about? I mean, how does that get done? How does God go about making this world into the way that he wants it, the way it's all supposed to be? How does the kingdom of God come? And how's Jesus going to make it happen? I mean, he's, he's the king, apparently. How's the king going to take power? And that's the question that would often cause confusion among just about everybody who followed Jesus all throughout his ministry. They kept watching and figuring out, trying to, trying to decipher. He says he's king. He says the kingdom is coming. How's that going to happen? And how are we going to fit into that? And I believe it's the key question that not only confused Jesus' followers then, it's still confusing Jesus' followers today. It's become one of the great debates in our culture even today. And it all comes back to our understanding of this topic that I want to talk to you about, power. What is it? And how do we use it? So we're going to look at two specific encounters between Jesus and his followers where Jesus is trying to help them see it. He's trying to clear this up for them, and they just keep getting it wrong. They keep getting it confused. Now, we just read one in our scripture reading, but I want to take you back because there's another instance that happened, and they almost look identical. (laughs) There's a lot of similarities in what happens. The first one is found in Mark chapter 9. We read one from Mark chapter 10, but in Mark chapter 9, starting around verse 30, Jesus and the disciples, they're traveling, and along the way, he, he says to them, just as they're walking, you know, talking along the road, he just brings up this topic. And in essence, here's what he says. He says, I want you... I want you all to know what's about to happen to me so you don't get caught off guard. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to to worry. But let me tell you what's about to happen. Pretty soon, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to kill me. But don't worry, after three days, I'll rise again. And the text says specifically in verse 32, they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Now, let's be fair to the disciples. That happened a lot for them. Now, Jesus would say things, and they go, you know what he's talking about? No, I don't know. Do you know? Do you want to ask him? I don't want to ask him. You ask him. I'm not asking him. And they just wouldn't ask at all. But to be fair to them, they didn't have a way to really conceive of this. They didn't even have a category in their minds at this point that there would be someone to not only predict their own death but pull off their own resurrection. 
And again, Jesus would just say these things, and they wouldn't understand, and they would just move on. And apparently they did move on from this encounter because right after they have this uh, conversation with Jesus, back in the back of the, of the group that's, that's walking together, an argument breaks out. And they're disagreeing, and they're sort of going back and forth. And Jesus hears it, but he doesn't address it. He waits till later on down the road. And they kind of get to where they're heading, and they sort of get to a place where Jesus asks them. He says, so I heard what was going on back there. What were y'all arguing about on the road? And they're really embarrassed because they were arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. In other words, they've been hearing all this talk about a kingdom and Jesus being king, and they like that. Because they know power comes with getting a kingdom, becoming a king. So what they really want to know is, okay, Jesus is a king, but he's going to have to have some, some people underneath him, and he's going to have a number two in command, and he's going to have a number three in command. wonder if I can fit into that little chain. And so they start arguing about it. Who's going to be number two? Who's going to be number three? Which one is it? Which one deserves it? Which one is he going to pick? And they're just arguing back and forth. And so Jesus sits them down, he gets them all together, and he makes this statement. You've probably heard this before. It's become kind of a, a famous statement. But in essence, Jesus is saying, I want to explain to you again. I, I know you're having a hard time getting this, but I want to explain to you what my kingdom looks like. And he says these words. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And right there with that statement, Jesus is trying to change their preconceived ideas of what power looks like and what authority looks like in the kingdom. The disciples and the entire Jewish nation had been living under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire for generations, an empire that had complete power and authority over them. But they knew that God had promised to one day set everything right again. The prophets had told them that one day God would send a deliverer, a Messiah, and when the Messiah came, God would become king. So in their minds, that meant that one authoritative power would replace another. Rome had been using its power and might to control them for years. Now, God was coming to do the same thing. He would finally show his power over the empire, put them underneath his authority, and life would consist of God and his people ruling over Rome instead of the other way around. So when Jesus says to them, the most powerful among us will be the servants of everyone else, it makes no sense. Jesus, we've been servants to the empire for generations. I thought you were coming to fix that. But their definition of power was a worldly definition. It's not God's definition. In the next chapter, Jesus and the disciples are headed towards Jerusalem. And again, Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's about to happen because Jesus is fully aware of what they're walking into. So he takes the 12 disciples aside to tell them once again, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, they're going to kill me, and it's not going to be pretty. But don't be afraid, after three days, I'll rise again. And you gotta hand it to the disciples, they're persistent. They keep blowing right past all the talk about Jesus dying and going straight to the stuff about power and authority. This time it's James and John, the brothers whom had become two of the closest disciples of Jesus. Just think about how bold this is. Jesus just finished telling them that he was headed to his death and they walk right up and ask, so Jesus, can you do us a favor? When you become king, will you let us sit on either side of your throne with you? They have no idea what they're asking, but Jesus knows. So he asks them, do you think you can suffer what I'm about to go through? And they say, absolutely. Again, they'll say yes to anything if it means getting the positions of power and authority. 
Whatever it takes, Jesus, when you take your place and you're lifted up on your throne, we want to be right there with you on the right and on the left side of you. I wonder if they thought back to this conversation just a few days later, when John is standing at the bottom of the hill looking up at Jesus as he's lifted up on the cross, screaming in agony. And John sees two men on crosses beside Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And I wonder if James and John thought back to Jesus' words. I wonder if they thought to themselves, we had no idea what we were asking. This was the throne of power Jesus was talking about? What kind of power is this? This looks like defeat. This looks like weakness. How can a king rule when he's dying on a cross? But again, Jesus tried to explain it to them. After James and John make their request, Jesus pulls them all together and he says to them what he said before. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm not sure if they understood what he meant in that moment, but I'm sure by the end of Jesus' life, the picture was pretty clear. Power, leadership, authority in God's kingdom, it looks like the cross. So I want to ask you to spend just a few moments with me. We're going to pray and reflect, and I want you to reflect on this. What would it be like if you had the power of God? What if right now you, I mean, just imagine for a moment that you've been given the power and the authority of God, and you can do anything you want to do. What relationship would you focus that on? What situation, maybe it's in your life. What is it that you think needs to be fixed first? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a minute and just listen while you're focused. In your life, in your world, what currently causes you the most stress and anxiety? When do you tend to lose it? What relationship is most difficult? What situation personally causes the most conflict and angst in you? What, what would happen in that situation if you were fully in control? Bring that to mind right now. Now, with that in your mind and your thoughts in mind, I want us to look to the screen for a minute and read these words of Scripture that you've heard several times already from Jesus together. I'll read some, and then you read the words in bold with me. 
Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave. Now I want you to think again, take a moment, and I want you to go back to the scenario in your head, and I'm going to ask you to think and listen to God again. What if instead of going into that with what we tend to think about as authority and power, you went in it with what Jesus thinks of as authority and power with a servant in that situation? What would have to change in your life and your agenda and your desires if you were to follow Jesus' cross-like example? I've talked to God about that, and I'll give you some quiet again. once more I want to challenge you Jesus power and authority on the cross and you use his example of the cross as your example on the night before Jesus goes to the cross many of us know the last thing that we know he said to his father just before he's arrested is not my will yours be done in the situation that you're concerned about the relationship the thing in your life, the thing in the world that you're so concerned about, would you be willing to say that to God, not what I want, but what you want? Ask him to move in the way that he wants and not the way you want. Would you be willing to say, God used my hands to do what you need to do, but not the way I want, the way you want? Commit to follow his example of power and authority by becoming a servant. Let's take the last little bit and let's commit to him in that area. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, teach us how we need to learn not from our world, but from you, what power looks like in, in your kingdom. Teach us the power and beauty of being a servant just like Jesus who gave his life for us. Help us to do this in the way you've called us to in these situations. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take a few moments, and I just want us to be real honest about ourselves for a minute. Isn't it true that we spend our entire lives, really, trying to figure out ways to gain more power, more freedom, and more authority for all the circumstances in our lives, to control the environments that we're in, 
so that we can have more and more, and here's really what we want. We want more and more control over our lives. I mean, that's what everything's about, right? You know why we do this? And this is not going to sound really encouraging, (laughs) but it's true. We do this because we're empty. We're fallen. We are needy, and we want to get our needs met. Look at it this way. It's like we lack something. We know it. We feel it. And therefore, we're going to use whatever means of power we can get our hands on to grab it, And take hold of it, whatever it is that we need. It's what everything's about. It's what all your working's about. It's what all your educating is about. It's what all the voting is about. It's what all the striving is about. It's an agenda. We even say, oftentimes, it's not just my agenda. This is is God's agenda. So we have to take authority. We have to take over so that we can get God's agenda done in our world. We want God's agenda done in our country. And so we got to get power. In fact, there's even a whole strain of Christianity these days that makes it their one and only purpose to take power back over in every segment in our society. And so they target government, education, culture, media, the whole thing, so that, and they say this, so we can take the country back for God as if he don't already have it and it doesn't matter what flavor it comes in it doesn't matter what you call yourself liberal conservative traditional progressive the goal's all the same we got to use power to take authority to get things done in the way that we believe that they should be done and of course that means the way we know God wants them done There's just one problem with that approach. It don't look at all like Jesus' approach. It looks nothing like him. I want to read you something that I, I found when I was preparing for this talk from one of my favorite authors and pastors. His name is Greg Boyd. He wrote a whole book about this, and, and I just go ahead and apologize. I'm going to read this. It's long, but I could not figure out any way to say it better, and he needs full credit for his words. So I just want you to listen to the way he puts this, because I couldn't have put this any better. He says, The difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world comes down to the kind of power they trust. The kingdoms of the world place their trust in whatever coercive power they can exercise over other people. We can think of this kind of power as the power of the sword. But in contrast, the kingdom of God refuses to use coercive power over people, choosing instead to rely exclusively on whatever power it can exercise under people. This is the transforming power of humble, self-sacrificial, Christ-like love. Exercising power under others is about impacting people's lives by serving them, sacrificing for them, and even being sacrificed by them while refusing to retaliate like Jesus did. We can think of this kind of power as the power of the cross. For the cross is the purest expression of humble, servant-like, self-sacrificial love. While cross power may look weak next to sword power, it is in fact the greatest power in the universe. The power of the cross is the only power that can overcome evil rather than merely suppress it for a while. 
It's the only power that can transform an enemy into a friend. It's the power that God promises will ultimately transform this world. It's the kind of power that the all-powerful God himself relied upon when he came in the person of Jesus to overcome evil and redeem all of creation from its grip. In a violent world filled with people vying for power over others, the kingdom offers people the peacemaking beauty of Christ-like power under people. The power of this distinctive is lost, however, whenever the kingdom of God people try to put their trust in both kingdoms at the same time. Then the kingdom stops looking like Jesus, and it starts looking more like the kingdoms of this world. And this means the kingdom of God, for all practical purposes, simply ceases to exist. Kingdom people are called out to be a holy, separate people. We are called to be nonconformists, resisting the power of, or the pattern of this world as we're transformed into the image of Christ. And as we do this, we put our trust in the power of Christ-like love. This holy nonconformity, although difficult and politically troubling times like this, isn't just one aspect of who we are. It's the essence of who we are. It's how we manifest the beauty of God's character and his kingdom. So think about this for just a moment with me. Imagine a God who is not like you, and he's not like me. He is not empty. He is not needy. This God has no reason to reach or to grab or to convince or to coerce anybody for anything because God has no need of anything. Right? He is a God who is fully contained he is wholly complete within himself. He has no insecurities. He is perfectly self-confident. How would a God like this use his unlimited power? Well, you don't have to imagine. You don't have to guess about the answer to that question because we have seen it. In fact, we've seen it all over the stories of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle John Remember, the same John who came and begged Jesus for the position of power, the same John would later look back on the life of Jesus, and he would write his recollections. And he would write about a moment that happened right before Jesus was crucified. In fact, it's the night before. He says, the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put what? All things under his power. See it? Jesus, God in the flesh, he has everything at his disposal. And he knows it. He has all power. He has all authority. And he has the freedom and the ability to do in this moment whatever he wants. The Father had put all things under his power. And then there's a really powerful word. It says, so. In other words, for this reason. Because Jesus knows that he has all the power and he has all the authority, because he knows, what does he do? He gets up from the meal. He takes off his outer clothing. He wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water in a basin, and he starts washing his disciples' feet and then dries them with the clothes that he's wearing. And he wears their filth. And you know, you know this from that moment on, right, to the moment when Jesus is arrested that later that evening, when he gets bound, when he is beaten, when he gets spat upon, when he is stripped naked, when his flesh is ripped to shreds, when he stretches out his arms and receives the nails. 
every step along the way, Jesus has all power. He has all authority. It never leaves him. And all he does is serve. All he does is submit. You do know that Jesus could have lifted one finger that night and all that next day. He could have said one word and he would have crushed his enemies. Jesus had already commanded storms to stop, diseases to heal, demons to flee. He'd done all that. And in the presence of his enemies who are taking power over him and killing him, he has only one thing to say. Father, forgive them. It's ridiculous when you think about it. What kind of king uses his power like that? I'll tell you who. The one king who possesses all the power. Because he doesn't need to. See, church, what we see in Jesus, that's what true power looks like. That's why later on the Apostle Paul would write these words. He'd say, the message of the cross, it looks foolish to those headed for destruction. But for us, for we who are being saved, we know it is what? The very power of God. That's what the cross is. And here's what makes the power of God so beautiful. I want you to see it. If Jesus had decided to do otherwise, if Jesus had decided to conquer his enemies by force, you know what he would have done in that moment? He would have destroyed the possibility of ever turning those enemies into his friends. Because when you use power over people to conquer them, what you do is you lock them into their rebellion. You make them against you because you come against them. But see, when you exercise the power you have under people, when you love them, when you serve them, and when you are even being persecuted by them, you leave open the possibility to be reconciled. You open up the path for love. And that's what Jesus did. By voluntarily giving up his life for his enemies, including you and me, Jesus then made it possible for us to be transformed by the beauty of his love and to be reconciled to God. And so now, the king has taken his throne. He has established his kingdom. And it is a kingdom based on self-sacrificial, other-centered love, which we know is the greatest power in all the universe. And now he invites you and me to participate in his love alongside of him. Exercise this love and this service under people so that we might see the world changed and then the kingdom will come in power that kind of power and now that you know the true definition of power when I say the kingdom comes in power don't you have a whole another picture in your mind it looks nothing like the kingdom that this world says it does that's what true power looks like it's the power of God the hard question though is do you really want it? Because that's hard, right? Because the kingdom of God, again, looks nothing like the kingdom of this world. Jesus said it's going to require something of us. He said you got to take up a cross and you got to be the servant of all and give away your life, lay down your life. you got to exercise power under rather than power over. And when it comes down to it, the way of Jesus' kingdom, it is just a complete, total surrender and a trust in the Father for everything. And it's going to feel like losing. It's going to feel like giving up your power, giving up your authority, because that's what it is. But Jesus proved, it's okay. 
You can trust me. I gave away mine too. You lay yours down. I'll raise you up just like me. You can trust him for that. Life and the power of the kingdom of God. There's nothing like it. Uh, maybe you feel God calling you towards that kind of life. Maybe it just stirred something up in you, as I know it does in me. And you're thinking, I don't even know what to do now. I don't know where to start. Well, we'd love to help you. Talk to us today. Stop by the Next Step Center. I'd love to help you figure out what that next step looks like. You don't have to commit to anything, but we can just talk and figure it out, and we'll go with you. We'll go with you every step of the way. But let's take a few moments now as we're sitting here and let's talk to God about those next steps and what they look like for us. So Ed's going to come lead us through a time of prayer and communion.